So the Smith family recently went on another hike. Now, for those a part of our community in our church, you know that my wife of 21 years loves hikes. I do not. I'm not a hiker. Uh, my concept of a hike is going to a very large mall and walking between my favorite department stores. That seems like a really purposeful hike. But Chelsea likes to actually get out in nature and go into these undulating hills, mountains, and valleys and actually hike amongst uh, the animals, amongst the elements. So we get on this hike, we, we park at the bottom of the hill, and the kids are just so, they're bemoaning, begrudging. I don't know if that's the term we should use, but they're complaining, okay? And they're just talking. We finally, we shut it down, and we say, listen, we're going to go on a hike. It's going to be fun. But the truth is, it was not fun. It was not fun at all. Nothing about it was fun. The only thing fun about it was learning how many calories we burned in what seemed like a 122-hour-long hike. Let me explain. We start hiking and we started to notice that this hike is, it's got some hills, right? And most of it was was uphill. And so we we continued the hike. And of course, I'm trying to encourage my 16, 14, 11-year-old, this is good for us. I'm trying to be supportive, demonstrate a unified front in our marriage, in our family. And we keep hiking and we keep hiking and we keep hiking and mostly got uphill the entire time. And so naturally speaking, now this is one of those hikes where, you know, the way you go up and into the hike is not the way you go back down or towards the car from the hike. So it's like this big, this big loop. And people would be like walking that way while we're walking this way. And we'd be like, hey, it's a beautiful hike. And they're like, huh, you know, we didn't really get any kind of real reassurance. And this particular hike, every corner, eventually we got to the point like, dad, can we go home? And I kind of look at Chell. I'm like, yeah, all right, we're going to, we're going to kind of make the loop now. I think this is the way it goes. And we're trying to follow signs and it's not like a remote hike, but there wasn't a lot of people out there. So we took a turn and, you know, when you're kind of ready to be done with the hike and head back down and get to the car. And so we just keep thinking, this is, this is going to get easy. We're going to start going downhill as opposed to uphill for the last two hours. True story. So we take a corner and we're like, Okay, here we go, down. No, it's, it's uphill again, okay? Go uphill, kids are complaining. Come on, we're almost there, we'll be fine. One of those things, we're almost there, we'll be fine. Get to another corner, ready to go down. It's uphill too, okay? Kind of uphill, kids are like, Dad! At one point, my daughter's like, she lays down in the dust and the dirt and the rock. She's like, I can't do it! It's like, that's exactly how I feel, but because I'm 42, I'm not allowed to lay on the dirt and the rocks and the dust and tell my wife, I'm done! It's over! I quit! I quit our family! You know? So she's there, and I'm like trying to talk her into it, but I'm like, I want to be her because it's exactly how I feel, you know? I'm like, come on, baby girl, we're going to make it. I'll push you up the hill. And I'm like, I don't want to push her up the hill. I want somebody to push me up the hill, right? So we, I'm like, one, I think just a couple more corners, we're going to be there. We're going to be all downhill from here. We turn another corner. Here we go. Come on, baby girl. Here we go. It's uphill again. About five or six corners that went uphill, and I finally lost it, right? I'm out. And I'm yelling. Chelsea's ahead, of course. She's a better hiker. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I hate this. I want to go home. You know, now Chelsea has four children, our three and her husband, right? And I'm yelling, I'm done, right? And it seemed like every corner we took never went downhill until finally we come up on this crest. We actually could see the parking lot. It was just like directly downhill and the Smith family kind of calmed down and all four children 
including me, started to relax. But that hike is a lot like what life has been like. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like this phrase recently, a friend of mine said, I just can't catch a break. In other words, I just can't get any downhill momentum in my life. Like, when is my path going to get enjoyable? When is my walk going to be fun? You know, it seems like since, since the end of 2019 or the middle of 2019, life has just been one perpetual uphill climb. Wherever you turn, uphill. All right, here we go. We're going to come around this bend. It's, it's uphill. All right, all right, all right, we're going to get through this week, weekend, uphill. All right, we're going to, babe, we're going to make it. Our marriage is going to be uphill, right? And everything seems like an uphill climb. And what ends up happening is you start to get a little unnerved. You start to get, right, the first turn that went uphill on the hike, I was like, no problem. Come on, kids, we can make it. Second turn, I'm like, we can still make it. Third turn, I'm like, yeah, come on, we can do this. Fourth turn, I'm like, oh my goodness. By the fifth or sixth turn that went uphill, like I said, I am yelling like a child. Babe, I can't do this. Do you feel like that in life? Do you feel like I can't do any more uphill weeks? I can't do any more uphill weekends. My path feels unsure, feels unsafe. I feel exhausted. I feel weary. I feel undone. I feel done. I can't keep going. And here we are. It isn't amazing from 2019 to the beginning of 2021. It's like, it's all kind of like a year. It's all been like that one year, but like, it's like kind of multiple years. And so how history records, this is going to be interesting, but it's just been such a challenging extended season of life. It has felt uphill. And I think I think it has left us feeling insecure. It's left us feeling like I'm generally an optimistic kind of person, not really because of my faith in Jesus, but just my personality. I'm like, come on, the glass is half full. Here we go, right? I'm like, it's going to work out. But eventually, even your optimism wears out, and you're just like, well, maybe this is life. Life's just going to be uphill. Life's just going to be hard. Life's just always going to be difficult, painful. The injustice, the senseless murders, the, it is unprecedented, astronomical, painful, challenging. And now it's like, you know, you always felt like a brighter day would come. You always felt like just around this corner, it's going to get good. And yet, every corner in your life and mine seems to afford us with new challenges, new loss, new pain, new difficulty. And so, if you're anything like me, you're like, I don't know if I'll ever be as sure or as secure as I once was. You know, people are always like, ah, the best is yet to come. Here we go. God's good. Is there something in you, because there is in me right now, that's kind of like, uh, not always. <laughs> I don't know if that's always true. Sometimes the best isn't ahead. Sometimes the best is behind us. And all that's ahead is uphill. All that's ahead is just insurmountable obstacles, pain, loss, challenges, and the only answer is to go home and watch Netflix, right? And the only answer is just to escape. 
what are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you what Christians do, right? What Christians are taught to do is when times are hard and your path is painful, you ask God to improve your path. Right, so this is what we do. We, we, right, and guys like me, preachers, guys and gals like me, teachers and preachers and Bible scholars and writers and thinkers, they're, 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 they're like, okay, come on, church. Let's pray that God will break through. Let's pray that God will change our path. Let's pray that our path will go from here to just like some smooth sailing. There'll be some peace and there'll be some enjoyability and there'll be some fun and there'll be some, come on, let's, let's ask God for help. Well, maybe you're like, I don't, dude, I'm a Christian, but I don't. I don't pray. In fact, my prayer is tired. Like I'm tired of praying, tired of asking God, tired of talking to God. So then, right, there's another, you're like, well, I'm kind of tired of praying. So now I just kind of like hope or more specifically kind of just have this feeling that maybe it'll get better. Or maybe it's gotten worse for you. You're like, I, I don't want to hope anymore because hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so, like, I don't, I keep getting disappointed. So now I'm just going to be like, ah, it is what it is. Yeah, life's hard. And then you kind of become one of those people. But you're like, I never thought I would be. I thought I'd just be kind of a positive, faith-filled person. But now I'm kind of like, ah, ah, that's probably going to get worse. That's all right. Right, so all of a sudden you're like, what are my options now? I've kind of lost my confidence in, in the security and sureness that God is the path of the righteous, goes brighter and brighter with the ever-increasing day. Right? I mean, these are scriptures. And you're like, not every path, not every year, not every season. What are we going to do? And I want to talk about three levels of security. And here's where I'm going to end this sermon. It's 10 minutes in, and I've already used the word end in my sermon, right? This is, this is incredible. This is miraculous. But the rest of this presentation is going to be dedicated to what I call three levels of security, the three levels of security that Jesus offers. And I want to show these levels of security to you in a story with the closest family unit to Jesus other than his own family. And it's a family made up of Mary, the oldest sister, Martha, the youngest sister, the middle child, and Lazarus, the little brother. Now, they live in a town called Bethany, which is approximately two miles from Jerusalem. And as the story in Luke chapter 11, or I should say, excuse me, John chapter 11 unfolds, what we find is Lazarus has gotten deathly sick. Jesus has sent a memo or a note that his friend Lazarus, almost like a little brother to him, is sick and on death's doorstep. Mary and Martha are imploring Jesus to make the two-mile journey down the road from Jerusalem to Bethany to heal Lazarus or be there for Lazarus or do something for Lazarus as everyone is starting to kind of realize Jesus is a miracle worker. He's incredible. Like, I think he can do this. This is wild. This is amazing. And so everybody gets their hopes up in Bethany and Jesus never shows. Wait, what? He never shows. Well, he shows, but extremely late. In fact, his lateness can't be underscored enough because he comes on the fourth day after their request. Or more specifically, I should say, the fourth day after he had already died. Now, to you and me, that's no big deal, except in this ancient culture, they truly believed that the body, or I should say the spirit of the person, hovered over the body for approximately three days. And on the fourth day, 
the spirit would leave, and the body would truly be dead. Now, one of the reasons for this is actually in ancient culture, they would consider people dead, but then they would be revived. They would be like in a coma, for instance, and they wouldn't know that because of ancient medicine. And then they would be revived in the day after, or two days later, three days later. So, so part of it was actually practical as well, that there were some people that they would even like put in a tomb, and they would visit them in the tomb, and they would wake up. And it wasn't so much of a miracle as much as it was just the body hadn't actually died. So by the time Jesus shows up, Lazarus is truly, quite literally pronounced, dead. Jesus shows up on the scene. You can find this in Luke chapter 11 for, or John chapter 11. And for sake of time, I'm just going to summarize. He, he shows up and almost immediately the oldest sister, Martha, runs to Jesus and says, Really? If you would have been here, I don't think you would have died. I think you can, I think you could have kept him from dying. And then she says, but I know if you were to ask God for anything, he, he, he'd do it for you. And Jesus says in verse 23 of John chapter 11, your brother will rise and live. She replied, yeah, yeah, I know he'll rise with everyone else on the resurrection day, the last day. And Jesus says, Martha, you don't have to wait until then. I'm the resurrection. I'm the eternal one. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, he, he will live forever. Martha, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I do. I've always believed that you're the only one, the son of God has come into the world for us. And she left and hurried off to her sister, Mary. Martha says she believes, but if you fast forward, by the time they bring Jesus to the tomb after he has wept, and he is, he's wept openly, he's cried over the death of Lazarus, he gets to the tomb, and Jesus says, roll the tomb, roll, roll the stone away from the mouth of the tomb, and Martha says, it's been more than four days, the body's already rotting, so maybe she didn't believe. Maybe this is a story that's full of really normal, natural people just like you and me. Now, what's interesting to me about this story is that the point of this story was just that Lazarus would live. I think the story would go very differently. I think if the point of this story is that Jesus can save people from dying physically in this life, I think that the whole story would have been different. But the story is very odd. It's very mysterious, particularly if you look at it from this side of eternity in time, the time-space continuum, you kind of go like, why is Jesus delayed? Why would he wait four days? Why would he kind of talk mysteriously? Why would, what, what is the point of this story? And I think what Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are looking for is what you and I are looking for, and that's to catch a break. That's that our path would wind upward, excuse me, downward instead of upward, meaning it wouldn't be uphill, challenging, painful, difficult, but that God would restore Lazarus' life and body. God would keep uh, uh, Lazarus from dying, that the family would be restored, that circumstances would improve, their life would get better, and there'd be wonderful meals and healthy bodies and all the things we want in this life. And by the way, by no means am I lessening or diminishing your need and my need for an enjoyable life, for our families, members to all be alive, for us all to enjoy wonderful meals and conversations and worship moments. And right, I mean, life is to be lived and to be enjoyed. But it's not lost on me that in this story, that doesn't seem to be paramount. Where for you and I, oftentimes our relationship to Jesus is, where have you been? Had you been here, COVID wouldn't happen. Where have you been? 
How are these senseless in, injustices in the streets of America happening? Where have you been? What is happening? And if we're not careful, our whole context and definition for security, assurance, confidence, is ideal circumstances. No death and dying. No loss, no pain, no sickness, no disease, no injustice, no dictatorship, no the abuse of power, none of that. Like, Jesus, fix all that, change that, make everybody the best, make everybody good, make everybody... But hold on a second. We, not to lessen at all the urgency of the hour that we find ourselves in, not only in this country, but around the world, and the regimes and the governments and the leadership and the policies and the legislation that absolutely categorically have to change. And we've got to grow and understand that we are each other and we are one another and we are one race, the human race around the world. We have so much work to do, but let us for a moment look back at human history and get honest. The honesty tells us there has always been evil, division, hate, abuse, manipulation, powers that be that are corrupt. So is the goal of our life to appeal to God and say, fix all of our humanness? Is that the only thing we attach our security to? Is that what we're saying that we've lost? Well, what I need is I need God to fix my life. I need God to, and sometimes we treat this life like a cartoon. We treat this life like a board game. We treat this life like Monopoly, like God needs to come and kind of put everything in its place. And we just got to, the puzzles, puzzles got to be perfect. And I need to have boardwalk on my, and I need to have everything. And, and then I'll be happy if God will make my life Perfect, but while there remains human beings on the planet, imperfect is our reality. Not in any way to lessen our passion for progress, growth, and development as human beings and loving one another. But I look at this story and I'm like, Sometimes I wonder if the perspective and priorities of God are different than ours, because clearly the priority here of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus is we just don't want our little brother to die, period. That is the priority. Don't let him die. And then when Jesus shows up late, they're like, you let him die. You let him die. You ever felt like that? You let him die. God, where are you? What are you doing? Where have you been? Why were you in Jerusalem? It was happening in Bethany. What's going on? What was so important? What kept you? Where are, God, what, what, is, what are you doing? down here. And so our security is suspended until our circumstances improve and all of our questions are answered and there is quite literally a tangible resolve. When I receive that, I will be confident and secure again. And I would like to appeal to you from this passage that there is a level of security, I call it level three security, that actually is anchored to the person of Jesus and it transcends conditions, climate, and circumstances. Here's the levels of security, all three very valid, but I think the goal is level three. Here's the first one. First level of security with Jesus is what Jesus has done. 
And so we get security this way. We say, Jesus has done it before. He can do it again. Come on, we all heard great sermons like this. Jesus can do it, right? What he's done before, changed nations, healed the sick, opened blind eyes, restored marriages, healed children, healed cancer, cured AIDS. God can do it again. Boy, I think we should have whole church services anchored to level one security. We find security in a God who's what he's done. He can do it again. And I celebrate that. I think there's a place for that. I think it's beautiful. I think it's one of the reasons we have this narrative. We have this storybook so that we can go, he did it before, he can do it again. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But this book also tells me there's a level two security. And the level two security is not just what he's done, he can do. Level two security says he can do a new thing. That's a good one, isn't it? Hey, can't God do what's never been done? Can't we believe in a God who, though we've never read about it, though we've never heard about it, he can do a new thing? Isn't there scriptures like God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask, think, or imagine? Translation, even what he's done, what you're aware of, what you've heard of, what you can see, or what you can touch, or what you can feel, God can go past that. God can do something you've never heard about. God can do something you've never seen. God can do something you've never read about. God can do the unprecedented, the miraculous, the supernatural, the unheard, the undone, the unseen. Hey, he can do a new thing, right? And that's when the preacher starts preaching and everyone's like, yes. Oh man, that's so exciting. God can do what's never been done before. And he's doing both of those things. Level one security says if he's done it, he'll do it again. Level two security says God can do what's never been done. But here's level three security. And it's what I want to give to you today as a gift, wherever you are and whatever you believe about Jesus and God in the scriptures. Here's level three security. And I would like to suggest that John chapter 11, the the the, 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 the main impetus and point is level three. Level three security. Level one security, what he's done, he can do. Level two security in this life, God can do what's never been done. Number three, level three security is who he is. There it is. The security we find from a person from a person. I'll prove it to you. Listen to this. Very odd thing that happens in this story. Tears stream down Jesus' face. He weeps openly. He goes to the tomb with intense emotion. He says, roll away the stone. Martha says, it's going to be smelly. He said, didn't I tell you if you'll believe me, I'll I'll unveil God's power. They rolled away the heavy stone. Jesus gazed into heaven. Now listen to his public prayer. Listen to his public prayer. Listen to his public prayer. It could be the point of this whole scene. It could be the point of this whole story. Listen to his public prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have heard my prayer. For you listen to every word I speak. 
Now watch this. He tells us what he's doing. Now, so that these who stand here with me now hear me and believe that you have sent me to the earth as a messenger, I will use the power you have given me. Wait, what? I thought this whole thing was about Lazarus. I thought this whole thing really, oh, it is about Lazarus, but it ain't mostly about Lazarus. Ain't is probably not the word my mom would want me to use there. It is not just about Lazarus. Because in his prayer, if it was about Lazarus, he would have said, now, Lord, I'm praying so that everyone knows the relationship and friendship I have with Lazarus. I'm praying for my little brother. I'm praying so people know. I'm, but, he, but, he, but he says, I'm doing this right here, right now, this whole thing, so that everyone knows who I am. I want everyone to know who I am. Come on, let's talk for a second. Do you know Lazarus ended up dying? Not now, not in this story. He actually comes out, right, all mummified in, in, in a wrap, and they have to kind of unravel him, and he, he, he lives, right? And this is where the preacher, you know, banks into his sermon and kind of starts lifting in the whole church and the whole room feel, hey, Lazarus is alive. God can resurrect your dreams. He can resurrect your children. He can resurrect your marriage. He can, and he can. But there's another level to this that we don't want to talk about. Because here's what happens. Do you know Lazarus ends up dying? You know Lazarus is still not alive. So the ultimate goal of this story can't just be that Lazarus is going to be alive as a human being on earth forever for he's not. I don't know how Lazarus died. Maybe he died of old age. I imagine that's probably how he went. Maybe he was in his late 80s or 90s and he laid there and his grandkids and great grandkids were around the table and there's miracle man Lazarus. You know what happened with Lazarus. You know how close Jesus was to Lazarus. Lazarus got a great story, but he still died, church, and we all will. So is the goal just to hold on to our stuff? Is the goal to ask God for more toys? Is the goal to say, God, I need you to help me for my retirement? Listen, I'll pray for your toys. I'll believe God for your retirement. I'll believe God for the cure of your cancer. But is that the goal? Is that where we find our security? Is that what we're trying to recover? Are we so frustrated and agitated because our regularly scheduled program has been disrupted? Are you struggling with the impetus and inclination that you hope that all this pain just goes away so you don't have to deal with it and face it and chat? Wait, what? So are we, are we still just going, God, done it before, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. Fix my finances, fix my body, fix my family, fix my career, fix my... He's, he's a good father, of course. If you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will you, heavenly father, give the Holy Spirit and things and stuff to anyone freely who asks? But is that where we find our security? Are you like me after five bends in the hike that keep going uphill? Do you finally go, I'm done! God, forget it. You're not real. You're not fair. You're not true. You're like me. I, I Level one security just makes sense. Level two security is like, whoa, God can do a new thing. But level three security, we often are incredibly unfamiliar with. 
How you doing? I'm doing good. You can't be doing good. Your wife left you. Your kids won't talk to you. Your business shut down during the pandemic. You can't be good. I think I am. You got a new business. You got a new bank account. You got it. No. No, I don't know if I'll ever have a business again. But why are you okay? Um, I feel like I know Jesus like I've never known him before. What do you mean? Well, there's this scripture in the Bible that goes something like this. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but in the process lose his own soul? See, the truth is our endless, our endless pursuit of ideal conditions is very misleading because we think that's what gives us confidence. I'm going to be honest with you, church home. I didn't know Jesus the way I know him now in the beginning of 2019. I didn't. I just didn't. I didn't know my fellow man the way I know my fellow man now. I didn't. I have black friends and brown friends and friends of Asian descent that I I didn't know the way I know my friends now. Like your family, like your circumstances, things have never been more unsure for the Smith family. I'll be honest. I think that's a pretty true statement. Um, I'm sure I'm going to stay married, in case you were wondering. I'm sure I'm going to keep being a dad to these three I was going to say babies, but they're not babies much anymore. But I, I want this to be over with. But the thing that we don't really know how to celebrate in church very much is that um, I've seen parts of the person of Jesus I would have never saw. And I'm, I feel like I, I feel like, and I'm sorry to make this so personal, but I feel like I'm at the beginning stages of level three security. Where it's like, um, if I have, somebody used the word presence, we use it so much in church, we forgot what it is. If I have his person, not his teachings, not his stories, not secondhand information from those who know him. But I'm talking about when I have him in the room. I have a security that is, by definition, transcendent. Jesus says, one of the greatest revelations of Jesus is in this story. Did you know that? He says, I have it in yellow. He says, Jesus said, you don't have to wait until then. Martha, anytime he says, I am, I am, I am. 
Look at the revelation of Jesus. I am the resurrection. I am life eternal. I am. And I love what he does. But I want to know who he is. Does that make sense? And you know what's wild? Is sometimes, not always, sometimes you go through stuff that you hate. Stuff that no one should have to go through. But in the process, here comes the way, the woven way of God. And before you know it, in the middle of the most excruciating pain of your life, you start to move in to level three security. And what you cling to now is not a retirement fund or equity in your home or love from a human. But eventually, little by little, you start to cling to I am the resurrection and the life. And I think one of the practical inclinations that level three security is moving into your life is things like waking up in pain and you're still grateful. Waking up in the mess and still saying, I love you. <laughs> you are wonderful. You know what we never do? Is we never talk about what, what old man Lazarus must have thought or said upon reflecting on this miraculous day. We don't know, so I'll just use my imagination as I'm coming to a close. Like, can you imagine Lazarus as an old man saying things like, it was wild. He healed me. Here I am. I remember. Oh, sure, that was all in there. But come on. Can you see that man with wrinkles on his face? Years of his life lived that he otherwise wouldn't have. He was going to die a young man, but he probably died an old man. Can you imagine old man Lazarus saying, you should have seen his eyes. You should have seen. By the time I came out of the tomb, I could see where the tears had stained his cheeks. He loved me like no one ever loved me. I think Lazarus wanted to talk much about the nuts and bolts of coming out of the tomb and how they took his grave clothes off. I think at the end of his life, he wanted to tell his grandkids and his great grandkids about the one who loved him like nobody else loved him. Maybe I'm missing the point, but I'm not so sure this life is about just staying physically alive. I 
think this life, oh sure it is, and we will, at this church, we will protect the dignity and decency of every human life, and for lives that are taken unjustly, we will stand and we will not be silent, but let us not get lost in this short, brief stay on earth and think that the goal is to hold on to this life like it is all we have. For home is where we're headed, not where we are. I think Lazarus, the old man, couldn't stop talking about the God man. I think, I think, I think if you shared a meal with old man Lazarus, I think it would be filled with the wonder of who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Friend of mine, I'm done, I'm done. Close to crying, but I'm done. Friend of mine recently told me about a great man of God that he had the privilege of sitting by his bedside for eight hours right before he died. And he kept saying to my friend in and out of consciousness as he was slipping from time and space into eternity, he kept opening his eyes and he told my friend, I just appreciate the Lord. And I didn't ask my friend because I didn't need to, but I didn't say, well, did he say anything about his cars? Did he say anything about his vacation home? Did he say anything about how young he looked? Did he talk about how hot his wife was? All of those things are valid. But there was no mention of that. The thing that kept coming up over and over in this older godly man's life as he was slipping to eternity was, I appreciate the Lord. It's who he is. And you know, some have said about this kind of preaching, it's not practical enough. Judah, we want, we, you got to give the listeners stuff to do and steps to take. And really? Is that the goal of preaching? It can be. But I don't know if that's the priority. I think... What I'm committed to do for the next 20 years of this church is to show you the person and then provoke you to encounter him and know him in your room right now, in your country right now, in your family right now, in your marriage right now, in your business right now. We need a person. We need a person. I need the resurrection and a life in the room with me. That's what I need. And I'll pray with you that God will help you cover the rent. You better believe that. But oh, what you need more than money for the rent is an encounter with the life, the person of Jesus. Judah, are you saying what I think you're saying? Everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that what cannot be shaken will remain. And I got a sense in my soul 
that God is working this together for our good so that what we're left with is level three security. The old saints used to pray, give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. That's what I need. And that's what I want for your family. And that's what I want for you more than another business. I want you to have Jesus. And um, I think the days ahead, there might be more shaking. There might be more deconstructing. But may the confident ones emerge with level three security and confidence that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For he is with me. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for church home. I thank you for the privilege and an honor it is to be a teacher and a communicator here in this sacred space and this collection of invaluable human beings. Thank you. God, I am asking in ways that only you can produce that you would go through lenses and cameras, technology, projection, power cords, and electricity. And you would meet people right now as I'm speaking directly in the middle of what they're facing and going through. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If right now you would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers, you can do it simply and easily. It is not hard to be forgiven. It is not hard to join the family of God. He loves you. He's chosen you. All it takes is one moment of receptivity. Preachers will say you should say it out loud, raise your hand, whatever it is. All of those moments of raising your hand or saying it out loud is just an outward indication of an inward reality that it's happening. So if you'd like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers through the death, burial, and resurrection, you raise your hand. I receive the forgiveness for my error, my selfishness, my wrong, and my sin. Forgiven forever. Right with God forever. Relationship with God forever. His person is in that room right now. He loves you. He loves you. And come what may, you're going to live with the security that only the person of Jesus can give you. I believe that. Amen.